When the novel coronavirus first emerged, health experts were stunned by how fast it could damage the lungs. Now, as we continue to live with the virus, we're learning how it can also attack the heart, GI tract, liver, kidneys, and even steal our senses of smell and taste. While older people are hit the hardest, young and healthy adults can also suffer lingering effects, and their experience reveal key lessons about life after COVID-19. As some athletes experience signs of heart muscle inflammation at an alarming rate, 34 to 68 percent of people infected with coronavirus are temporarily losing their sense of taste or smell. While scientists pore over data to make sense of these connections, those infected try to make sense of the disease's aftermath. Whether it's learning how to exercise again after myocarditis, or how to face life without the smell of fresh flowers or the taste of greasy comfort food, young people are sharing sobering insight into the complex ways COVID-19 impacts the body and mind. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story explores how coronavirus affects the heart. As scientists examine how COVID-19 can lead to myocarditis, Young athletes are shedding light on the best way to exercise after recovering from the disease. Our second story is about the connection between COVID-19 and sensory dysfunction. As growing evidence suggests loss of taste or smell is a hallmark symptom of COVID-19, we meet the young people who suffered months without these vital abilities, and some who face a lifetime without smelling fresh cookies, fragrant curries, and more dangerously, burning food. This is The Abstract. A look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now, exercising after coronavirus. The hearts of young athletes reveal a key lesson. In addition to lung damage, many COVID-19 patients are also developing heart problems. COVID-19 survivors may experience more damage to their heart than to their lungs. There's a new study out that talks about long-term heart damage in COVID-19. In some people, causing myocarditis. Young people, athletes, if they get infected, it's more likely to be myocarditis. One third of Big Ten athletes who had recovered from COVID had myocarditis. Is COVID attacking the heart muscle itself, or is there sort of a downstream effect on the heart? In late summer 2020, there was an influx of reports suggesting the hearts of the young physical elite, like college and professional athletes, were experiencing the toll of COVID-19. In August 2020, ESPN reported that at least five Big Ten conference players had signs of myocarditis, an inflammation of the heart. Then in September 2020, a study on 26 Ohio State athletes who had recovered from COVID-19 found that four had signs of myocarditis. Researchers tell Inverse the extent this occurs in young, healthy persons is still unknown. But in the meantime, scientists are poring over data extracted from college and professional athletes in an effort to gain a clearer picture of what the connection between myocarditis and COVID-19 really is. Here to explain more about what this Ohio State University study tells us about how COVID-19 affects the heart is Inverse's Emma Betwell. Hey, Emma. Hey, Tanya. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, Reading up on the latest, while there are still so many unknowns about how COVID-19 affects the heart, 
What kind of evidence are we seeing about the effects thus far? We're sort of seeing effects on the heart at a couple of different levels, but I think sort of the macro level that's drawn a lot of attention is the fact that we're seeing signs of inflammation in the heart, even in sort of young, extremely fit athletes who have the coronavirus. So not your traditional population that you would think would experience severe coronavirus disease, which tend to be, you know, the elderly or people with certain pre-existing conditions. So a couple of cases that really made a lot of waves. So in August, there were at least five Big Ten conference players that had signs of myocarditis, which is that inflammation of the heart. And by early September, there was this sort of widely circulated report on 26 Ohio State athletes who had all recovered from COVID-19, but four of those 26 athletes had signs of myocarditis, again, inflammation of the heart. So those are sort of the broader kinds of effects we're seeing, but there's still a lot that scientists don't really know about how COVID affects the heart in the long term. So that's probably a good place to start. Fair. So until we get more concrete evidence, how are scientists studying the connection or how are they beginning to study that connection between myocarditis and COVID-19? Yeah. So I think on the macro level, one thing that scientists are doing are actually watching professional athletes. I spoke to uh, Matthew Martinez, former chair of the American College of Cardiology Sports and Exercise Council, and also the lead cardiologist for Major League Soccer. So he's involved with a study that involves NCAA athletes, Major League Soccer athletes, WNBA athletes, NBA athletes, and NFL athletes. They're all looking for signs of heart complications among athletes that are in their 20s and 30s and sort of monitoring them for effects of potentially COVID-19. But we're also sort of looking on a more micro level at the way that COVID-19 can affect the heart and the virus specifically. So we have found traces of the virus's genetic material in the heart. And we know that about 10 to 30% of hospitalized COVID patients end up with high levels of a certain protein that's released into the blood when the heart's muscle cells are damaged. Um, So that's another way scientists are kind of looking at the heart and looking at the virus and say, okay, what, what are the connections there? I think that one that kind of stands out is there was a roundup of 39 autopsies that was published in July, and they found that the virus had infected heart cells in 24 out of those 39 autopsies. But another kind of puzzling thing was that it didn't seem that there was evidence that the virus infected cells had sort of caused an influx of inflammatory cells that might suggest a case of myocarditis. So they found, you know, evidence that the virus had infected the heart, but they couldn't prove the fact that it was the virus itself that was causing that inflammation. It's actually not that odd for a virus to cause swelling in the heart. What's odd with COVID-19 is the frequency with which it happens, especially in older hospitalized patients. But on its own, the fact that the virus can you know, lead to swelling or inflammation in the heart isn't on itself so strange. Clearly, there's just a lot more research that still needs to be done. But the threat of heart damage seems real enough to keep researchers proactive. What kind of efforts, if any, are being made in terms of precautions or monitoring um, just to stay ahead of this curve here? Yeah, that's a good point. So after all of that, all of the studies that are going on, what does this mean for like you or, or me or someone who likes to run or work out and, you know, maybe has or has recovered from the coronavirus? So at the end of the day, what we're looking at is a 10 to 14 day period completely off once symptoms subside. So that's assuming that you get the coronavirus and you, you know, you actually have symptoms. And, you know, once those symptoms go away, 
10 to 14 days completely off and then to restart slowly is the advice that I got from the sources for this story. If you are asymptomatic for coronavirus, which means you don't show symptoms at all, they still recommend that you take two weeks off. And that doesn't mean you have to literally do absolutely nothing, but it's not a great time to go out for like a five mile hard run trying to run a PR. It's probably worth just taking it a little bit slow and letting your body recover. And it sort of underscores the fact that we don't really know all of the downstream effects of this disease. So, and at least that's what my sources told me that, you know, caution and rest isn't really going to hurt you in this case. Very good. We will leave it at that. Emma, thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks, Tanya. Some studies suggest between 50 and 96 percent of people with COVID-19 exhibit smell loss. While they don't compare to some of the disease's severest symptoms, these sensory effects can be extremely distressing and are reshaping the daily life of thousands of survivors in ways they never saw coming. Seventeenth, I had a really severe headache, and then I lost my sense of smell and lost my sense of taste all within a day. And there's no inflammation, there's no tumor or anything inside my nose. Just the nerves are completely fried. But the only thing I can smell is coffee if it's very, very strong, and then like gasoline is another one. They sent me a smell test, which is like a scratch and sniff. It's 80 different scents, and I scored a three out of 80. Yeah, it's it's wild. That was Christina Alexander, a 26-year-old nurse practitioner, describing to Inverse what it's been like losing her sense of smell. Diagnosed with COVID-19 in March 2020, the science suggests her symptoms are quite common. Mayo Clinic researchers recently reported that smell blindness or taste distortion in people positive for COVID-19 was 28.6 times higher than that seen in people who tested negative. For the majority, symptoms tend to clear up within a month or two. But according to Christina Alexander's ear, nose, and throat specialist, there is a less than 1% chance her ability to smell will return as the months wear on. Christina hopes her experience offers a sobering reminder to young people infected with COVID-19. I get really frustrated if people in their 20s are reckless because I'm 26 years old and this happened. I'm completely healthy. Like, there's a reason to be wearing a mask. People get it and they have lifelong symptoms. Others have also noted a serious mental toll, far larger than they could have anticipated. Sarah Marcourt, a 28-year-old New Yorker who works in media, who suffered a temporary loss of smell due to COVID-19, put it this way. It's funny because talking about this, I feel like I should give the caveat of number one, I am so fortunate to be healthy. Now with some perspective feels very selfish. I was just like, oh my God, my life is entirely changing. All I want is comfort food. Everything's awful I can't even enjoy food right now. Honestly, it was depressing weirdly. While scientists haven't pinned down the exact mechanisms driving these connections, Inverse's Ali Patillo is here to talk about what we do know. Hey, Ali. Hey, Tanya. Let's first look at the evidence that we currently have. How common is this loss of smell and taste overall among those who have had COVID? What do we know? Yeah, so it's a great question. I mean, right now, estimates really vary because like so many symptoms and side effects of COVID-19, we don't have the large scale longitudinal studies to pin down exactly how prevalent these symptoms are. 
But current evidence does suggest that loss of smell and taste are common symptoms of COVID-19. And in fact, these kind of sensory signals may be the earliest and only indicators of the disease in otherwise asymptomatic people. I mean, some studies suggest that between 50 to 96 percent of people with COVID-19 exhibit measurable smell disruption or total anosmia, which is full smell loss. And then about between 40 to 50 percent of people appear to experience taste dysfunction, which is called dysgeusia. So based on all of this data, you know, some scientists argue that sudden smell or taste loss could be one of our most reliable signals that someone has become sick with COVID-19 and that they should isolate from others. And that kind of smell and taste loss are now so-called hallmark symptoms of COVID-19 and should be treated as such. You know, one of the common themes with COVID-19 is just we can't quite figure things out. We don't quite understand so many different things. And scientists haven't pinned down the exact mechanisms that are driving this situation. It's still a mystery. But what do we know about the overall science that might lend itself to some clues? Yeah. So like you mentioned, I mean, olfactory specialists and people who study the body's smell system, they have not pinned down the exact mechanism by which the coronavirus damages the olfactory system. But they do have some theories. I mean, some scientists say the virus could be doing direct damage to the olfactory bulb or the epithelium, which is a sheet of neurons and supporting cells that line half the nasal cavity and help conduct our sense of smell. Others say that there's kind of general inflammation or mucage blockages at play that are stealing people's sense of smell and taste. But for patients like Christina Alexander, who was the 26-year-old nurse practitioner I spoke with for this story, COVID-19 appears to have simply fried her olfactory nerves. And there's a pretty, according to her ENT, her ear, nose and throat doctor, there's a pretty low chance that those nerves will recover and she'll regain her sense of smell. But I mean, as the mo- at the moment, as more people get sick with COVID-19 and suffer these sensory effects, scientists will get the answers they need and get a better grasp on what's going on mechanistically. You know, what we don't hear as much about are the mental effects of losing a sense of smell or taste. Were you able to get a sense of what that's like from, from the people you spoke to? Yeah, I think it's really important to note that all of the survivors of COVID-19 that I spoke to for this story who were experiencing this sensory dysfunction, they said and they acknowledged that their experiences pale in comparison to some of the severe and devastating outcomes others have suffered. But at the same time, you know, losing these fundamental senses has impacted and transformed their daily life and really taken a serious toll on their mental health in far more devastating ways than they ever expected. I mean, people were throughout their smell and taste loss, they were coming up with these formulations just to smell something. They were combining garlic and Worcestershire sauce and ginger just and smelling it every day just to see if they could smell a whiff. You know, other people were dumping hot peppers into their food just so they could feel something, even if it was pain. Basically, you know, facing life without these really fundamental pleasures, fully tasting mac and cheese or the umami of ramen or even a beer, that was really grim for people. And, you know, they noted it wasn't like they thought their life was over, but they did question what kind of life that would be. And really scary to think that it might be permanent. 
And everybody's experience with smell and taste loss is unique. You know, no one's no one's experience is the same. But we do know from the data that losing these senses can threaten health and well-being. You know, there are safety concerns. People can't smell dangerous gases in the air or if food is burning. And then it's just, you know, they can't smell a bouquet of flowers or fully taste a great meal. And these things, you know, most people don't lose their sense of smell throughout their life. It does decline as you age. But this is an experience that people aren't familiar with. And I think every survivor that I spoke to was really surprised just how fundamentally it affected them. Again, there's so much that we don't know for sure. But what do we know about how permanent or lasting these effects can be? What is evidence telling us? And ultimately, what can someone expect or at least look to for guidance in the wake of experiencing this? Yeah, so luckily for most people, any sensory disruption clears up within about a few weeks of recovering from COVID-19. For a small fraction, these symptoms can linger for months. And for others, they possibly never return. And that's the case for Christina Alexander, who is going on, you know, seven months plus of smell blindness, and her taste is slightly disrupted as well. And there are, I mean, there are some treatments. There's smell training, which has, you know, some evidence and some great outcomes behind it. There's steroids and gene therapy and stem cell therapy and even some surgeries. And those things show promise, but there aren't really any silver bullet solutions for this. But at the end of the day, I think this story is just a really sobering reminder that regardless of age, COVID-19 can have some profoundly impactful effects. And that's really what Christina was trying to emphasize was she, you know, she's sitting here at 26, previously healthy, and has had a big fundamental part of her life change. And she just really wants people to realize that this is possible. And it's a reason, you know, to wear a mask, to practice public health precautions, to social distance, that COVID-19 is serious. And these things can affect you regardless of how old you are. Mm -hmm. It's really good information. Listeners can head to inverse.com. We'll be covering more as more information comes in. In the meantime, Ali, thanks as always. Thanks, Tanya. Head to inverse.com to read more about the lingering effects of COVID-19. You can find the link in the show notes for all stories we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at inverse.com. Got something to say? Email us at theabstract@inverse.com with any questions, suggestions, story ideas, and anything else on your mind. Look for The Abstract Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening. <laughs>